Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you've given us the opportunity to work with you in the garden. What a fantastic world and universe you have created even after 6,000 years of sin. We're just in awe of your creation. And we are dealing this afternoon with some of the challenges that we have in the garden. So we just pray that your wisdom will be here with us. That each person will feel they have uh, gotten something that they can use in their gardens. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, weed control is one of my uh, favorite topics. And, of course, you know, you read through the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, you find out that the challenges that we have, you get that idea when God was talking to Adam and Eve right there after they had sinned. The challenges that we have are for us to overcome. And in that overcoming, it is recreating us into what we need to be, right? So those problems are some real blessings, see? That's part of the curse that is for man's and woman's sake, yeah. And so we control is a, is a challenge, but we're, we're told that when we see difficulties, we should use our God-given uh, ability to overcome those difficulties. So that's the whole idea. We find intelligent tools. It's not that it's not work, but we become masters of it because we, you know, use our mind. So that's sort of the mindset that we want to have as we, um, as we go into this. And then I'm sure, you know, each one of you represents some specific questions and, and weed problems, so we'll try to get those answered. This woman here is already smiling, so you get the idea. Okay, here's factors that affect uh, weed problems. Soil imbalances, you know, you can see certain weeds like broom grass that tell you that it's poor soil. My brother was pointing that out in the gardening class. Broom grass in West Virginia, you know, you can just see it growing on the hillside. You know that's poor acid soil. One time I was cruising along the freeway in northwestern Florida, and I looked over here on the um, field over there, and it was just red with sorrel that was wild sorrel that was going to seed, and it puts up these little spikes um, uh, red, and, and so I just knew that's an acid soil over there, okay? And, um, and so certain soil conditions can encourage certain weeds, so it's good. Balance your soil with a cation exchange capacity uh, type soil test, and that will maybe lessen your weed pressure, but from my experience, I'm still working on getting my soil perfectly balanced, so, you know, don't, don't expect too much in that area. Um, then, of course, the other thing is the amount of weed seeds in your soil. So you want to, you know, not let your weeds go to seed because you're going to be dealing with that for the next um, uh, seven years or, or something like that. Um, and that's where the thing on the bottom there, which I'll show in the next slide, uh, tarps really helps with that, um, being careful. But, you know, just careful cultivation uh, is worth the extra, extra work, not letting those weeds go to seed. And maybe when you're rounding up organic matter, being careful about, you know, how many weed seeds it has in it. Of course, there are some parts of my garden have so many weed seeds in them already that a few more weed seeds, um, you know, won't make a whole lot of difference. Then a really big thing is rotation, okay, which is a practice, you know, of changing the crop from year to year. Don't just plant cotton, cotton, cotton or whatever. But, uh, or don't just go corn, beans, corn, soybeans, but really have a rotation. Three, four, five, six, seven years. Um, and uh, especially if you can have it in sod and then you break it out of sod. The, the weeds that grow in your garden many times don't grow in a, you know, a uh, hay field where it's it just kept mowed and it's a solid stand of grass. It suppresses the pig weeds and the lamb's quarters and that kind of thing. So when you break it out of sod, then you have many times many less 
uh, uh, weeds. There can be other weeds in there, perennial weeds, sometimes like thistles in Colorado or something. But that really can break the, the life cycle uh, of those weeds. But in many of our gardens, we don't have that luxury, see. We're just very intensively growing a garden. But there we're rotating, and there's where you have this thing of alternating hard-to-weed crops like carrots, beets, and so forth, because they're slow germinating, small little things that grow slowly. The weeds just get ahead of them, and you try to pick them out of the weeds. You alternate those with um, what we call cleaning crops, or easy-to-keep weed-free crops, like potatoes, corn, sweet potatoes. Those are ones in my garden that function that way because you can keep them well-cultivated and... Then they grow up and shade out the weeds. I mean, sweet potatoes, if you get them right, you know, they're just solid sea of leaves. And uh, in general, you don't have a lot of things that will come up through, except in Alabama sometimes certain kinds of nut grass would, would come up through. But you could count on it. You could look there in my garden in Alabama when I used to work at Uchi Pines. Sometimes you'd see. Here you could see where I grew the sweet potatoes last year. The next year, you go out there, just the sun's coming up, and it just shined and an area that had been tilled maybe a month before and it hadn't had anything planted, or maybe it had something planted, but hadn't been cultivated for a few weeks. And here are all these pigweeds, and they turn toward the sun, and the bottom of their leaves is red. So the, wherever the sweet potatoes weren't, it just would tend to look red, but you could see where the sweet potatoes were, is much cleaner. See? And so then that's a good place to plant your carrots because you have a lot less um, weeds to pick out by hand. And of course, I'm gonna, you guys know I'm going to inevitably tell you about flame weeding, which will help you with doing your carrots too. So that's going to be a good share of the talk. But I assume that's why some of you came here. See? And then, of course, having a rest year in part of your garden Uh, You can put it into a perennial um, green manure like alfalfa or uh, clover, maybe red clover or something like that. It does give you that climax stand and you can just keep it mowed for for maybe from the fall of the sixth year. And I'll show you how to do um, um, between the row living mulch where you plant the seeds while the crop of the sixth year is is growing, let's say, you, you sprinkle your seeds in there, so without any extra work, you, or very little extra work, you have uh, planted your green manure, then it grows over the winter uh, into the seventh year, the spring of the seventh year, it comes up in the summer of that seventh year, you just keep it mowed, and that'll, you know, suppress all those annual weeds that want to come up and make, make uh, seeds and so forth. And, of course, if it's a legume, it's, it's fixing nitrogen and building organic matter in the roots and the tops and what you keep mowing off. And then it grows over the winter of the um, seventh year. And then you till it under and let it grow up in the spring of the eighth year. And then you till it under, of course, in good time to where it'll break down before you need to plant your crop. You know, you get it good seed bed preparation maybe a month before you're going to plant your crop and or two weeks if you have the right kind of equipment and so that green manure has been growing there for basically a year and a half plus okay so you really built the organic matter the nitrogen and if you have a relatively good okay soil I can guarantee you if you did that you can plant just about any nitrogen demanding crop like corn cabbage or whatever and it's got the nitrogen it needs to just grow the crop you know you could take a picture of it and use it in a in a uh, chemical fertilizer advertisement yeah it's it's that good say plus organic matter and weed suppression say so that's a very good um, technique in the process you're you know, resting your land, which is God's plan for sort of restocking the organic matter and the nutrients and all that good stuff. So that's a very good, you know, these are intelligence tools that you're using. See, it doesn't really take any more work. It's just planning, using your brains instead of just 
you know, busting your knuckles on it, okay? And here's another one that, um, that we've learned about from a man up in Canada, uh, Jean-Martin Fortier, and his book is back here. I, I recommend if you're looking at market gardening, it's a very good, uh, good book. And, um, and also, he's a good friend of mine. I've never met him, but he uh, put my flame weeders in his book. He has one of my flame weeders. And he says more positive things about flame weeders than I could even bring myself to say. So he, I just, uh, some days I, I just love him and other days I, mm, he, he's sent me too many orders. <laughs> okay, tarps. Here is uh, when you're done with a crop in a certain area of your garden, okay, your early crops and you're so busy canning and freezing, it's easy to leave that you know, part of your garden, it just grows up in weeds, see? The early peas or carrot bed or whatever, you just, and it just grows up in weeds. It was looking pretty nice at some point. You had it all weeded, but then as you're harvesting it, you didn't even notice those weeds are growing around the edges, and before you know it, it just made a whole bunch of seeds. We have one weed in West Virginia called Shaggy Soldier that that it just, boy, it just grows so fast. We call it wild buckwheat there in West Virginia. So you just put this tarp over the beds, wherever that part is, okay? So you wouldn't necessarily have one tarp that's this big. You could cut it up and they, you can get them uh, from Jonathan Dysinger, okay? And also you can get them locally um, from, like, southern states. They call them silage tarps for putting over pit silos. And they're usually white on one side and black on the other. If you're concerned about it overheating your soil, you put the white side up. If you, uh, but um, usually you put the white side down, and um, and it just encourages. It's nice and moist, and it breaks down those weeds. So it's much easier than to till in whatever crop residues and weeds. It's just like very mellow, and so it's a good way to, you know, kind of keep it there, all ready to till up whenever you're ready for your next crop. And actually, I've used tarps, uh, not this particular kind of tarps, but just a regular tarp, which I wouldn't recommend because they tend to break down in the sun and then they disintegrate into your soil, okay? But I have spread that over areas that were just blackberries and we have ironweed and stickweed in West Virginia. And I would just go in there and whack that with the weed whacker or the machete, just whack it down. I was going to plant raspberries in that area. But, you know, all these perennial weeds, if you plant raspberries in there, you have black, wild blackberries growing in your raspberries. Pretty soon you just till the whole thing under. So, so I just put this tarp over there for a good part of the, of the summer, okay, or uh, the year before I was going to plant my raspberries. Either I was going to plant them in the fall or in the spring. So I put it in the summer, just put it over there. And after you need to do it for a month or two during the active growing time, preferably toward the, in the springtime when they, you know, the, the blackberries and so forth have been saving up their energy over the winter. And now they need to get more energy. So they put up, you know, their leaves. Well, if you put the tarp over and they can't get any more energy, then their roots will die. But any time of the year when you have a month or two of warm growing season time and you don't let them get any light, they'll give out. See? Except some weeds are very tough, so you know, you'll learn what you need to do to your weeds and your climate. But anyway, I put it over this for a month or two, and boy, you take it off there and everything's dead, and it's just a whole bunch of organic matter, and you just, you know, plant your till your strip there and plant your raspberries and uh, it's just taking care of it. All those perennial weeds, gone. I mean, there might be some weed seeds in there, stickweed and ironweed, but it really um, is a good way to cycle a wild, you know, West Virginia um, corner of your garden or new area into perennial uh, berries and fruits. Okay, then here's another one. And this is, again, we're wanting to use our mind and, and deal with this. So in your garden, you want to be doing cultivation, not weed control or not pulling the weeds, okay? When you start seeing weeds that you need to pull, 
man, you've made a lot of work for yourself. See, it's just you're way behind. You need to be doing cultivating before you can hardly even see the weeds. You're wanting to break up that crust. And on a, you know, a morning of a sunny day type of thing, okay? And then the weeds just die. And it's no problem. So easy. And the tools for that are stirrup hoe. Where's my stirrup hoe here? And I have some pictures of these too. But uh, stirrup hoe and a wheel uh, hoe stirrup cultivator. And they have some uh, back here. Um, There's several brands. Johnny's has them. Yeah, you can hand out those Johnny's catalogs maybe. And this is my uh, main hoe that I like. Um, it's a stirrup hoe, and it's a Swiss stirrup hoe, okay? See how it has this um, kind of bowed uh, blade? If you want to just uh, grab one of those, and you can give it back. Oh, if you have one, okay. But if you want to just have one in your hand during our class, then you can stick it back on the table or give it back to these guys. And that way you can look at these while we're, we're talking here. But it has this bowed hoe. You can go into the hardware store here in the States, and you get what's called a hula hoe or whatever, but it has a straight blade, and it doesn't work really nearly as well. This goes in nice and deep, except it goes very shallow right here, where you're going right, I mean, you can nudge right against a carrot plant, see? So you can go zipping down this side of the row, and up this side of the row, and it uh, really, you know, leaves very little, uh, and you kind of can... If it starts loading up with weeds, you just kind of, boy, this one flops a lot compared to mine. But you can go like this, and it'll unload the, the roots and stuff off of it. So it's a really nice, uh, nice type of hoe. Okay, and then what, what page are these on? Yeah, okay. And um, then here's called a colineal hoe, okay. And this one is really nice. It, this one, if you try to go between lettuce plants, it will just rip the, that stirrup hoe. It will just rip the leaves of lettuce, especially if the lettuce plants are getting very big. But this one, you can go right in there and, you know, slice the soil, just like with that one. Slice through the soil, um, but you won't, you know, be going under the, under the leaves, okay? And, and just the way this blade is, it is really nice, and you can stand upright. See, it's not this kind of break in your back type of thing. See? And you even get in a certain cadence, and you put on some classical, maybe, um, you know, waltz-type music, and you get a certain cadence going down the row, you know. And, um, but with this one, actually, a lot of the time, it depends on what kind of soil you have and how many, but you can do carrots as fast as you can go down and keep a straight thing. You can just go right down the carrot row that fast and you're just done. You know, it's really nice. Now, if you have a few more rocks in your soil, like I do in my garden, um, then you have to, you know, do a little bit more like this to work with the rocks. But in Colorado, we had that beautiful silt uh, soil. <laughs> it's really, really great. Yeah. Okay, we'll um, go on here then with, uh, I'll show you some that I've got here. Here's a push stirrup hoe that I uh, made myself. Okay. And... Um, has the same, has a 14, 13 or 14 inch wide blade. So for the average uh, row, uh, let's say you have 30 inch rows between your corn rows or bean rows, you can go up and back in the pathway and you've basically done the whole pathway. And then of course you come with a hand hoe and go right next to the, right next to the plant. But you know, up and back. When we first bought this, we bought a, the ones that are in Johnny's Swiss stirrup hoe or Swiss push stirrup hoe. We bought all these other little little narrow hoes and we thought we were going to do it right down the, in between the carrot rows in the bed and all this stuff. Once we got going with it, we just left that wide stirrup on and that's all we ever used. And we left all those other fancy little gadgets in the shed. Okay, so, but you know, you might, have a different taste in doing it, but that's what we found. Uh, but this thing, boy, you can cover so much territory with so little effort, so many few calories of energy expended to get that. And your kids love this kind of thing because they, you know, it, they can feel they're getting it done and, and using their brains instead of just, you know, breaking their back or whatever. Yeah. 
Okay, and there you can see it kind of has, it also, you can go like this and it will flip back and forth and so it cuts both directions. Yeah, and there you can see it from the front about how wide it is. And uh, there you can see the blade uh, a little bit more. Yeah. And uh, that's in our greenhouse. That watermelon just happened to be there. It's not, we haven't crossed uh, peppers and watermelons yet. <laughs> yeah, it's 13 or 14 inches wide. Uh, I think Johnny's, I don't know if Johnny's has, how, how wide are their blades there? But uh, Peaceful Valley Farm Supply also um, has these. And they, uh, they sell a variety of uh, widths. And Johnny's probably has it in their, um, in their uh, maybe their website. 12 inch, yeah. Uh, that's not quite wide enough for me, okay. I want to cover a lot of territory, yeah. Okay, here is some of uh, the different hoes. And there you see the stirrup hoe. That one has gone, I just take the handle off whenever I travel internationally. I put that in my suitcase. And so that hoe head has gone around the world a few times. And you can see it's starting to wear a little bit. Some, they say they have these files for sharpening. I never sharpen mine. I don't want it to wear out any faster than it has to do it. And basically, we have enough rocks to sharpen it in West Virginia. Okay, and then you see the old cotton hoe over here. That's nice for hilling potatoes or something like that. You know, it has its place, okay? But for, you know, hoeing in a carrot bed or something like that, you want that stirrup hoe. And then you see the one between the cotton hoe and the stirrup hoe. That's the one I usually use when I'm doing general hoeing in the garden or hoeing between, um, I don't have one of these collinear hoes here. I left mine at Eden Valley, but... Um, that one uh, is the one I use for general hoeing in the garden and for hoeing between lettuce in the beds and so forth. It, it sort of does the same thing, but it's, you know, you can buy it locally, okay? And so instead of a big wide blade like a cotton hoe, you might say it's only about this wide, see, and it works. But you can still pull some soil with it. So when you, let's say with your corn, I should have some slides here, but let's say you have corn and beans, okay? And you zip up and down the pathway with that... Um, push cultivator and then you come with that one and it pulls just enough soil so you can go along like this and and you just angle a little bit like a road grader see and it'll just shove that soil in under your bean leaves you know just when there's the first first leaves and uh, just cover all those little weeds in there if you're doing it in a cultivation mode instead of waiting till the weeds are are this big. And of course I plant my beans and corn with a with a push planter like they have back here somewhere. And that leaves a little depression, you know, the row. And and so then the beans come up in this little uh, just down in just a little bit. So that then when I go rolling my soil in there, it just rolls it in and covers those weeds. And so you know you can do the same thing. You'll see how we do this with a cultivator, but in a home garden you can do the same thing with a with a hoe, if you have that idea. And then on the right-hand side there is a, a little one that I use because many times I plant my salads very narrow rows, only two or three inches apart, a whole bunch of rows on a bed. And so that one I use for going in there, even when the salad's starting to grow, and just can go in there and do it. And you can see Johnny's there on the page in Johnny's catalog. They have, um, what, what letter is that there? Um, in the side of the page here. Yeah, that one, that, okay. That's, um, I guess that's uh, B, okay? Is in pretty close to my crude one up there, okay? Is the um, um, type of hoe that would answer to that, okay? And E, E is maybe, you know, the second from left there. E would be pretty close, uh, maybe, yeah. And then there's this little wire, uh, wire weeder, and that's nice also for working in, you know, small areas. But um, I'm always afraid with my rocky soil that I'll wreck it up if, unless I just had a hand one. Okay, and here's just a few, you know, shots that show you. See there, you can just go right next to those plants and just about nudge against them. And, um, and so you just, you know, there's very little uh, weeds left right in a row. 
And if you turn that stirrup just right as you're going along, it will, it will push soil into the row. So it's a really great, really great tool. You know, it's not the cheapest hoe in the world, but once you have bought one of those, you will just uh, be so happy you spent that money. You know, we, we all spend money on things, you know, and so this is what you spend your money on. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, and there's my crude little thing, and you can see that, you know, relatively narrow rows, and it's really nice for getting in there with those, those kind of things. And here we're going between the lettuce, lettuce plants, and it'll even slip under the drip irrigation, you know, so you just go down through there. You don't have to pull the drip irrigation all out and everything. Of course, you have to be careful, because if you're not careful, you make a hole in the, in the drip. Okay, and then uh, flame weeding. That's another one of those intelligence tools. And, um, and so I'll show you a few pictures, pictures of that. Maybe, maybe you have a, a question about this cultivation before we, before we go on. Okay, we're going with flame weeding then. Oh boy, I better keep moving here. Okay, here we're planting our... Um, our carrots, four rows on a bed. This was out at Eden Valley with this Earthway push planter. And it has all kinds of plates, so you can plant beans, peas, um, okra, and so on and so forth. And uh, it's a really nice little tool that you can, you know, it costs uh, 75 to to $100. But if you watch for it in the yard sales, you can get it for, you know, $15, $25, something like that. Uh, it's an Earthway push planter. Yeah. Okay, and um, and then here we we kind of clipped several of them together so we could uh, have even spacing for for mechanical cultivation with the tractor. Um, there are the clips. Okay, and uh, then we would put the floating in the first planting in the spring. If you have floating row covers, you can plant two to three weeks earlier than you would otherwise plant, okay? So, you know, if for where you are, let's say for us in West Virginia, to plant the maybe end of March is about what you could do with carrots, and it might be so cold they have a hard... Well, you then... that So that would sort of be, you know, middle to end of March was when you would usually plant carrots, with floating row covers, you could plant them uh, beginning of March to the middle of March or something like that. Yeah, a floating row cover is just a spun-bound fabric that looks like the stuff that women put in the interface that they put in to give more bulk to the, the whatever, um, something they're sewing. And, uh, but it's just a real thin fabric. It's in the Johnny's catalog there, I think page 200. And uh, f for this purpose, we use the 0.55 uh, uh, ounce per square yard. I think it's called uh, P90 or G90. What is, what is it there? That's the second from the top. Uh, Agrabon. AG90, yeah. And so you just spread that over your bed. We use the 80-inch wide uh, stuff. And it's relatively, uh, relatively cheap. And the Agra, Agrabon is the best brand that I've found. There's some other ones like Coverton are not so great. But you just put that over your beds of carrots, beets, lettuce, anything you want to get going earlier. And you're two week, you can plant two weeks earlier than you would otherwise. Or if you just plant the regular time, it will, it will get you to harvest almost two weeks earlier just because you put that over and it just keeps things warmer, and but the rain will go through it. It will ventilate itself. It's really, really great stuff. And okay, um, there you can see how we have it spread on the, on there to get it, uh, get it germinating. Okay, and of course you can plant the carrots just in your garden uh, by hand. Okay, then this is the flame weeder that uh, the first one we made. When I was over in Europe, uh, 
was teaching at European Bible School and starting a course over there. I toured a lot of organic farms in Europe. It seemed like every other uh, farmer had his own flame weeder that he had put together. So then I ended up back with my brother Joel in Colorado, and he had he was planting a quarter acre of carrots every year, and his apprentices would basically spend a week on their hands and knees weeding those carrots. And so I said, Joel, you need a flame weeder. So we went in the shop and we made this one. And then the, the way you do this is you, um, uh, you have to have a stale bed. You have to plant into a stale bed. So you till your carrot beds or your beets, whatever slow germinating vegetables, uh, about two weeks before you're going to plant. And then when you plant, you don't till again. You plant into that stale bed. That's given two weeks for the weeds to already start germinating before you plant. So then you plant, and then it takes, you know, a week to 10 days, or if it's real cold, almost 14 days for the carrots to come up. And just before the carrots come up, you run the flame weeder over these torches, over the, um, the bed, and that kills the fast germinating weeds that have already come up. And then your carrots come up into a relatively uh, weed-free bed. So it really gets you ahead of that first generation of weeds, which makes carrots so hard. So um, you can see here then, you see those little carrot rows there, okay? And then you can see the weeds that would have been in the carrot row if uh, we hadn't flamed it right there on the row, Okay. Of course, you want to always make sure you flame before the carrots come up. Otherwise, you know, carrots are gone. Okay? And we were just so happy. Oh, boy, that saved them so much work. And so here we are with a stirrup hose just taking care of the weeds. And, of course, this guy's standing on the carrot bed, which you should never do. Okay? The one on the right. But anyway, we had four rows on a bed. Uh, and this other guy in the middle here is standing in the pathway. And there you can see our stirrup hoe. We were doing the pathways with the push cultivator, I should say, and then using the hand stirrup hose to take care of the weeds. But you can see it is somewhat rocky soil in that particular. But we grew beautiful carrots, the best-tasting carrots. I mean, just uh, super. Anyway, uh, we were so happy. But then we found sometimes... Even in dry Colorado, it would start raining like West Virginia or something. And the carrots would not want to, to die. They would just, I mean, the, not the carrots, but the, the weeds. And so you hoe them. And, and then it would rain in the afternoon. And they would just want to just keep growing. So, so then we came up with this. We just flamed the whole top of the bed. So we came up with this, you know, manifold of torches. Just do the whole thing. And you don't need to burn the weeds. All you need to do is overheat them and it ruptures their cells. And they still look green after you run the flame weeder over them. But they're kind of a glassy green. And um, so then a few you know, hours or days later, they just turn black and, and die. Now, some people are kind of nervous about having that gas tank on their back. But I just tell them, well, if anything happens, you won't know what happened. So... <laughs> no, we, we make sure everything is safe, you know, about the hoses. So the carrot seeds are in the ground. Right. And no, you'll find the soil has enough mass to it, and you're going, you know, one foot per second down the road, just a slow walk. And uh, so it's just for a little bit that the flame is on there. And uh, the Europeans have done, they're very preoccupied with... Um, you know, taking care of the microbes in the soil. So they've done a lot of research of whether it will affect the microbes or how much it heats the soil. And, and so it doesn't, doesn't do that. Yeah. So here is a bed that has not been um, hoed or anything. Um, and you can see, you know, nice rows of, of carrots with essentially, you know, weed-free um, between the rows, except you can see here, these are some, maybe these were weeds that didn't get flamed, okay? Um, but, you know, you can really zip up and down in that kind of thing where there aren't any big weeds. And uh, here you can see they're, they're just going right along, uh, 
hoeing. There's some weeds in there, but they're, you know, the second generation little weeds, okay? Except you can see right here, see this green patch right here? Those are thistles, okay? And flame weeding will burn the tops off the thistles, but they'll just come up from the roots. So, you know, flame weeding is not for everything. It's not for your corn and beans. You know, people call me on the phone and they want to buy a flame weeder. And when I find out what they want it for, many times I, you know, unsell them because they want, they think they're just going to flame their whole garden and, you know, live happily ever after. But it's always easier and cheaper to cultivate. Uh, than it is to flame, but for this kind of slow germinating things that are more challenging, like carrots, beets, direct seeded onions, and that kind of thing, it you know it really uh, it makes it all the difference in the world. Okay, just a few more slides here. These are direct seeded onions, which you can't really see, but you can see we've this is how many weeds would be in the bed. Here's a row, here's a row, here's a row, or I guess one, two, three, four, yeah. And this is how many weeds would be in the bed if we hadn't flamed. And again, you can see those thistles um, that were really the bane of our whole thing there in, in Colorado. Okay, and then uh, here's one that we took a long time to get around to getting the weeds that were in the pathways, okay? And so you can see this is about a month after we planted the carrots or maybe even more, maybe a month after the carrots came up. And that's how big the weeds would be in the bed. But you can see this is still pretty weed-free. There hasn't been hoed at all. Nothing's been done to it. And uh, that's probably how big the weeds would be if we hadn't uh, flamed it. Okay, and then we did one on the tractor with uh, seven to nine torches. It really made us like an afterburner on a jet. It's, it's really the all-American toy. You know, it burns fossil fuel, makes noise, so on and so forth. But it, um, here's what you can do in your home garden, okay? You just go into your husband's shop and get this uh, propane torch like they use for soldering pipes and all. And you put this fan tip on the end, which comes with many of the, the kits. It's for burning um, paint off of furniture or something like that. And you put that on the end, tape it onto a hoe handle, and light it, turn it up real good. And you put it, you know, run it right down the row of carrots, see? And because uh, that's where you need it the most. I mean, it's nice to do a whole whole bed, but, but in a garden setting, you know, you uh, um, don't need that. Or you can buy a single torch from uh, Northern Tool. I don't even sell a single torch. Um, single torch from Northern Tool or something like that. Uh, it's a good, good way to try it, you know, in, in your garden. And here's what we did. Uh, yeah, if you just if you just uh, till your till your bed and and plant the carrots the same day as you tilled it, and then the carrots come or just before the carrots come up, you flame it and carrots come on up. Uh, the, there won't have gotten enough weeds out of the ground that you killed a lot of weeds, so they'll be still coming up with the carrots. See? And so you look at it and you go, oh, I don't think flame weeding is even worth the time, let alone the gas and all this. The money. So, so if you but if you do that stale bed technique, then it's just like night and day. Yeah. So it takes a little bit of, you know. Uh, and one way to know when the carrots are going to come up. Of course, I I don't trust any of these things. I want I get down there and dig, you know. And and you learn the the anatomy and physiology of how a carrot sprouts. And they, you know, they put this root down from the here's the seed, and they put the root down, and then they start knuckling up and pulling their their cotyledons out of the carrot seed and they come on up. So that's just when they put that root down, that's when you want to flame, okay? But don't wait too long, otherwise, you know, you'll kill your carrots. Yeah. But a good way to sort of know when the carrots are going to come up, you can plant beets and carrots at the same time. And when the beets come up, then you know the carrots are almost ready to come up. But still, I don't trust it. I'm down there still digging <laughs> Yeah, a little jumpy, okay? Especially if you have, you know, 300-foot beds, see? 
and, and you look your apprentices in the eye the next morning when you missed, they came up, the carrots came up overnight. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here we were going to Nepal to work with my brother Joel. He was working with AFM, and, and so we thought, well, we do flame weeding over there. So we made a methane digester. Here's the, here's the digester, and then it's putting the methane into this tank here. And it took about two weeks to fill it up, two weeks to get going, and then two weeks to, to digest. And then we did it like this, and Joel brought this head strap back from Nepal on his vi first visit. And so this is the third world uh, version of the space shuttle, okay? It made me, made me nervous, you know, to be around this. I could imagine back up against a thorn tree. And anyway, we, with two weeks of methane production from that little thing, we uh, flamed uh, over 1,000 feet of single row, uh, 1,000 foot of row of garlic uh, with that. So. so it can be, you know, it can be uh, more ecological than using propane is what we usually use. And of course, remember, we're doing all this uh, uh, for the carrots, yeah, and beets and, and those kind of things. Okay. Um, any, any questions on that before we move on to some of the other things? Okay. Um, okay, mulch uh, is, I use my mulch mostly on the long season uh, things in my garden, like tomatoes, uh, cantaloupe, watermelon, cucumbers, eggplant, those kind of things. I don't mulch my carrots, uh, peas, those things. You know, you do all that work to mulch them and then it's all done and, and so forth. But, uh, of course, controls the weeds, conserves moisture, is organic mulch maybe, um, controls erosion, uh, builds the soil because it inevitably breaks down, improves soil structure. All those worms like to come up and just, um, you know, uh, that's their food is organic matter. Uh, we already mentioned this. Do the longer season crops. It's good for putting around fruit trees. You just don't want to snug it up to their uh, trunk too much. Good for small fruits. You know, like with our raspberries, we just take our grass clippings and put them on the raspberry row. And it just makes those raspberries just so happy. You know, all that nitrogen just makes them grow. Uh, really great uh, mulch fertilizer combination and of course one of the biggest mistakes with mulch is people will you know plant their early tomatoes and mulch them the same day the soil's on the cold side and they put all that mulch and it just keeps the cold in so many times I would just keep my tomatoes cultivated for the first several weeks or even month and then when the soil warms up just before I put my cages on or something like that, I put the mulch in there and uh, then go through the rest of the summer. Uh, don't have to worry about the weeds. Of course, that's where a um, inorganic mulch is nice. Down here we have the plastic, okay, um, because it will heat the soil. So, you know, for your early crops, tomatoes, melons, it'll not only control the weeds, but it'll warm the soil and and speed the crop. So you have, you know, plastic mulch and floating row cover is really, you know, gets you going fast in the spring. Yeah. But then there's a, of course... plastic mulch, you mean just like a, a ring of plastic uh, tarp or something? Or yeah, usually you can buy it in the Johnny's catalog. There, I didn't look up the page. Maybe somebody can find the, the plastic mulch. And it comes in rolls, Okay four feet wide rolls and you just roll it out down the bed and tuck in the sides. Of course, they have these mechanical mulch layers that roll soil on as it goes down the bed, but you just make little little ditches with your hoe on the edges and tuck the mulch in there and, you know, put the soil over the edges. And um, so I used to get, I think, uh, six foot long rolls and then I would cut them in half with a power hacksaw so I had three foot because I didn't want to spend that much money for I just needed that right where the plant was okay and um, but I, 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 I usually don't use uh, plastic mulch in my garden 
somehow I, I don't like using plastic. It's kind of, you know, ecology thing. Uh, and I, I find so many other ways to deal with it. So, But it's, it can help you to get an earlier, earlier crop. And on things like strawberries, you know, the Dysingers will tell you that they can't do the kind of strawberry culture they do without, without plastic, even though they like to find some other, some other way. Yeah. Um, uh, my experience was I, in, in Alabama we had a lot of pine needles so I used I did a lot of mulching with pine needles and there we our soil tended to be relatively uh, neutral soil so that's just you know the way it was sandy soil uh, but I used a lot of pine needle mulch and I never saw it to be a problem if you till a whole bunch of pine needles into your soil then you can, you know, change the pH. But just putting it on the top, if your soil is already sort of sliding into being acid or low in nitrogen, and then you use an acid, low nitrogen mulch, you know, you can just one more notch down the low pH road. But, but um, if you have a concern, you know, you just get your soil tested or sprinkle some lime under it. But I, I haven't seen that to be a... Uh, a big problem. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing soil testing on a regular basis and, and really putting on those amendments. And um, so if you're doing that, it's not a problem. In Alabama, we had leaves and pine needles. If you just put on pine needles, you need to put them on really thick. Otherwise, depending on the type of pine needles, I guess. But our longleaf pine needles, the sun will still get through and the weeds will grow. So we found if you put leaves down first, you can put relatively few leaves down and it will shade out the, you know, create a mat. But the wind would come and blow the leaves away. So what we did, we put the layer of leaves down to sh cut the sun out. And then we put pine needles on top and it, it just worked great. And pine needles to me look more beautiful than, than leaves anyway. And so that's the way you can do it. Of course, straw and hay works well, but sometimes you can have weed seeds or you can have wheat seeds, okay? And so I've done it in strawberry patches and different things where I mulched with straw and it just turned into a wheat field, okay? So sometimes in, to avoid that, you just take and water those bales real well, even break them up so you can get more water in there and put a tarp or plastic over it and really let it sprout those uh, wheat, uh, so you don't end up with that. And then bark and wood chips, I, I usually don't use those in my garden, you know, vegetable garden. I usually use those around my berries and trees and things like that um, because many times I till my mulch in in the fall as a part of my soil building program and, you know, bark and that kind of thing. Uh, but some people you know, found ways to do it. You just put extra nutrition in your soil and they make permanent bark pathways, but that's not the way that I do my, you know, my garden. Some people have a religious conviction against, uh, what is that called? Uh, back to Eden. What is it called? The, the method that really promotes, what's it called? Back to Eden. I, I personally, I think, hey, that's kind of neat how they're doing that except that they're promoting it as the answer to all soil problems around the world, everywhere. And from my experience, the soil is so different, so many different places. And I've tested soil all over the world and found that you can count on almost every soil will have a definite deficiency in one or two trace elements and probably in calcium or magnesium or so forth. And so at Eden Valley, we'd put on huge amounts of compost for multiple years and beautiful, really build up our soil, but it had still some real deficiencies, see? And so if you're really eating out of your garden, you want to make sure you really have a balanced soil. So for that, you know, I would say uh, there's only a little mm, comment I would have to make. Okay, now we're going to show you the whole thing about a living mulch. Uh, boy, we're going to have to zip through these because I've probably already run out of time. Okay, four minutes. Okay, here we're planting it with a tractor, but I'll show you here in a minute how you can do it with uh, just by hand. 
Here we're planting the corn, okay? And there in Colorado, we had to irrigate it. Here we're cultivating it, and we had these uh, guards that would protect the corn as we rolled the soil in around. But same idea you can do with a hoe. Just if you're doing it in a cultivation, you don't see any weeds there, see, because we're breaking the crust before the weeds are big enough to be able to see them. And we're covering those weeds, just snugging the soil in around the plants and covering all those little weeds. So that's your idea. And there you can see we had a whole thing. It all floated, all those shoes floated with these wheels. And um, yeah, this was this girl, I would trust her with my cultivator tractor more than some of the guys that were apprentices. She had that nerves to go fast and drive straight. Okay, and then when the corn is about uh, knee-high or something like that, you just sprinkle clover seed in there, okay? Or alfalfa or that kind of thing, sweet clover. And uh, then you cultivate it. The last cultivation, just before the last cultivation, you sprinkle your green manure seeds in there. But you have to keep it really weed-free up until then because after that, you can't hoe or cultivate. I mean, you could go in there and chop out a weed here and there. But if you're hoeing, you're killing your green manure, okay? Okay, and then, of course, you keep it well-watered, which in West Virginia, you know, most of the time, we don't have to worry about that. But this is how you do it in your garden, see? You just take and you get the feel of you need to sort of measure out your this much, this much seed should go down 15 or 20 feet. Then you start doing it, because if you just start, say, I, need, I have a pound here, I'm going to spread over this much, and you get halfway across the garden, you've used it all up. So you've got to get the feel of how far, because it goes through your fingers really fast. But then you just cultivate it with the stirrup hoe, push, push stirrup hoe, or um, just with rake it in if you've already already tilled, you just rake it in like this, because it, it only has to be in a quarter of an inch or half an inch, something like that. Or you can set, at least on a Troy-built rototiller, it has a, a, a thing on the back, kind of a shoe that you can set at different depths. So you set it so that it only tills maybe that deep, it just kind of tills the surface, and that's a very good way to last cultivation and um, incorporate your uh, green manure at the same time. Or you might do a deep cult, you know, you might do a go over it with the rototiller to kill all the weeds. Then you sprinkle your seeds and then you set that shoe so it'll go real shallow and just because um, if you set it shallow, it might not get all the weeds. Okay, and so we planted our uh, crop and we've done our, our green manure crop and we have done our last cultivation at the same time. You're doing this in corn, beans, cabbage. If there's some crop that grows real thick, like carrots on a bed, you know, they just grow up. The carrots are just solid and shade everything. You couldn't plant a green manure in between those, those multiple rows on the bed, say. So you have to know in your garden what part of the garden you can plant this living, living mulch. And then the corn grows on up, and just like, and there it's growing down underneath the corn. And by the time we're harvesting, you can't see it very well in here, but that's about 10 inches high some places. 6 to 10 inches high uh, by the time you're harvesting the corn. And then it can you know, keep growing until frost. And uh, so you're growing your organic matter and your nitrogen for next year's crop while the corn is growing. So you're sort of getting the, the best of both worlds. And you didn't have to do a whole different operation at the end of the season to plant your green manure, which sometimes, just because it is a whole nother job, I, I don't get around to doing it. Yeah, you, you do a really good job of cultivating that crop uh, until it has gotten up to the point it is going to go ahead and grow. You're not going to cultivate anymore. You've gotten ahead of the weeds. And if you, you, by that time, you've cultivated it two to three times, and you've basically worked the weed seeds out of that surface, so there will still be some weeds that grow, and it depends. If you're in Colorado, you have different weeds in West Virginia or in Georgia or whatever, so that, you know, you'll find out how well this works for you in Texas or, or whatever, with the, also the green manures that will grow. Yeah. Um, yellow dock, yellow, it has kind of a yellow root. Yeah. 
yeah, some of those perennial weeds, uh, you, the best way I've found is, um, I mean, you know, in a small garden, you just dig them out, okay? But uh, on a bigger scale, the best way is you, that tarp type of idea. Uh, you just put a tarp over it for, we had to do that with comfrey because it had taken over one-third of my brother's garden uh, before we came, and then we took over the garden, and we, we put tarps over that comfrey for a whole growing season in order to kill it out. So you kind of have to dedicate that part. Or you just keep it tilled. You never let it grow green, which is hard to do for some, like thistles, you know? Yeah, yeah. In that case, uh, yeah, it is, especially if you do it with a rototiller, okay? But if you do it with, of course, many gardeners don't have this. If you do it with a field cultivator, it will just push those things up on top. And, and, but still, it's very difficult, you know, because you're doing, if you're a market gardener, you're doing so many other things. And, and to get around to go back there every week and till it again so it never grows any green for basically a whole growing season. Plus, you know, all that tilling is burning up organic matter. So that's where tarps are, you know, a really nice, really nice thing. But again, you have to dedicate the best part of the growing season to killing that out. So it just depends how important that is to you. Uh, uh, you tried like six mil tarp? Yeah, nut grass because it has nuts and that have a lot of energy in them and it puts up a pointed thing. It'll go right through black plastic mulch. I know it will go right, go right through it. Yeah. So there again, there to just keep it, just keep it cultivated uh, is that's, that's what you have to do. Okay, I have one, one or two more uh, slides here. I think this is just the way you can mow it off and, uh, and just let it grow on to the next year. And then the next year, you just till it under. Uh, of course, most of you don't have big rototiller like that. Um, here's what we do with uh, this plant and broccoli and cabbage. Here we're cultivating with the stirrup hoe push cultivator. And uh, again, you do a really good job, especially when it's getting up to that point where you're going to spread your seeds. You make sure everything's weed-free, and uh, then you keep it watered after you've planted it. Um, there you can see the, the clover coming up between the rows there of onions and kale. But we didn't plant it in the bed of onions or the bed of kale. And um, this is our broccoli and stuff. And there you can see it growing there in the cabbage. And actually, you can't see it, but most of these heads have already been harvested. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> We forgot to give out these uh, flame weeding technique. Maybe we have a, a couple questions here before we wind up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I was thinking. You know, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some trees that suppress, have that kind of suppressing things like black walnuts in, in West Virginia. So you might want to talk to the extension service, you know, because I don't know anything about Texas. But just walking here through the juniper woods, I get that impression. So you might want to talk to the locals, local yokels. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, there in Colorado, it's a lot better than in West Virginia or Alabama. Okay, any other questions? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, it kind of has a bunch of little... Sp okay, she was wondering if this uh, garden weasel, which kind of has little tines. I don't know if it's in the Johnny's catalog or not. And you can push it and pull it, and it kind of... It's like a spike tooth, uh, um, yeah, it breaks up the ground, so it's breaking the crust, yes. okay? Now, for me, um, you know, once you have a stirrup hoe, then <laughs> you might decide that that, see, with the stirrup hoe, you know it's been broken and sliced under and so Where with this, I would be, depending on the type of soil, Oh, did I really break up? And I mean, some of those weeds were just a little bit big, or do they still have their root going down through? You see, so but I, um, but in the in the in the sense that it breaks up the crust, it's killing the weeds. Yeah, and of course, it sort of lets it be more aerated too. Yeah. Okay, any anybody else? Okay, so um, I hope that will help you. Uh, have some ideas to uh, use in your garden and be more be more successful yeah 
why don't we wind up here with a prayer? Lord, we're looking forward to a world that doesn't have any of these kind of um, what we call weeds, but everything works the way you originally intended. We, we can't even picture how that'll work, but we thank you for preparing that for us. So we just pray that you will help us to be uh, diligent in working our gardens, working the gardens of our hearts, letting you break up the fallow ground, remove the weeds, and prepare us for that um, kingdom where the righteous shall inherit the land and live therein forever. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.